Warning, today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to Then Is Now Podcasts and our special series, 13 Days of Hallowtober, in which we discuss the scariest movies of all time. Today we are doing not one, but two movies, Saw and Saw 2. Joining the show once again is Spency Domepiece and Squishy Domepiece. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. Yes. Okay, the first film we're going to discuss today is Saw from 2004, directed by James Wan and written by James Wan and Lee Winnell. Someone there? I can hear you. Who is that? Who's in there? Photographer Adam Stanheit awakens in a bathroom with his ankle chained to a pipe. Across the room is oncologist Dr. Lawrence Gordon. Between them is a corpse holding a revolver and a microcassette recorder. Both men find a tape in their pockets, and Adam retrieves the recorder. 
Adam's tape urges him to escape, while Gordon's tape tells him to kill Adam by 6 o'clock or his wife Allison and daughter Diana will be killed. Through a series of flashbacks and current police investigation, we learn of someone dubbed Jigsaw, who is not a killer, but a vigilante that takes people who he deems are bad people or have wasted their lives and puts them in a death trap with the goal that if they figure out how to escape and survive, they will all be the better for it by appreciating their lives. Okay, Saw was directed by James Wan, who also directed Insidious and The Conjuring. He's the producer of The Conjuring series. He's also directed Furious 7, Conjuring 2, and Aquaman, among other things. What was your first impression of this movie, uh, Squishy? Wow, it was so good. I had high expectations, and they were absolutely met. I was... Like, my relationship with the Saw movies have been sort of on and off of wanting to watch them, because this is the first time I've ever seen them, from, like, really wanting to watch them, and then, like, watching some other people, like, talk about it, and then being like, mm, maybe I don't want to handle that much gore, and then actually just, like, deciding to sitting to sit down and watch it, and my mind just being blown. It was absolutely phenomenal. I have nothing bad to say about it. I'm in the same boat. I kind of had a perception of them that they were good and had a lot of story to them, but they were also really excessively gory. And upon watching the first and the second one, it's really not the case. Uh, I think that it's one of those movies that has a reputation that people believe, but when they go and watch it, it's vastly different from what they really thought it was going to be. And it was just very, very thought provoking, very, very intelligent. And there wasn't a whole lot of like missed notes i felt like everything they were trying to do they really really hit on they got a couple of the really really scary slasher moments of people being stalked but it really was a main focus on the humanity of everything both movies right and this is a totally different kind of horror movie it's not your typical slasher movie it's not even a slasher movie at all it's not even a gore movie per se it does have it's like a horror mystery movie kind of thing. kind of yeah and jigsaw is not a villain he's more of a vigilante in this movie yeah, and I think that the first one, especially, because when you walk into the second one, you know something. The second one very much gives us a lot of background on the Jigsaw Killer. He gives us a lot of a lot of it, like interesting understandings of the inner workings of his mind and how he how things are going for him. Whereas the first one is a big mystery as to who the hell this could be and what's going on here and what his motivation is. Exactly, we really have no idea and. Throughout the, at least the first one, we're given a whole, whole ton of red herrings of who we think the killer is. We think we found it. We think we figured it out. Okay, cool. And then just everything is blown away. Right. In every turn. So we're going to contain our comments right now on the first film, and we'll start off talking about the cast. So Lee Wanell is, he plays Adam. He's also one of the writers of the Saw and um, producer of the Saw movies. And he does a pretty good job. He's trapped in the room with uh, Dr. Gordon, Dr. Lawrence Gordon. And um, I, I don't think he acts quite a bit, but he's been in a few things. But um, he does a good job here. I liked it because it really blew my expectations of what was going to happen. And I don't mean that very vastly. I mean in a very character sense of when I first met Adam as a character, I didn't want to like him. He seemed right. really, really detached right. yeah. and really, really weird. And I was like, okay, he's probably going to turn out to be some kind of creep some kind of weird perv and that's going to be that and we're going to move on because it really felt like the the movie was gearing us towards rooting for the doctor and kind of against the jigsaw killer because we want to root for the doctor and against adam because he's a a, a very very fucked up person 
Well, it really wasn't the case. Really, once things went on and things moved on, I really came to like root for Adam and Dr. Gordon. Right. I was really, really interested in it. The movie did a great job of pulling me in, investing me, but also making me think a little bit. Right. I absolutely agree. I I thought Adam was kind of sus for a while because we learned a lot of backstory about Dr. Gordon pretty much from the get-go of how he knew everything that he did, what was going on, why like he remembered how he got there and all this stuff and it took a while for Adam to really like collect his thoughts and remember things and then we learned that they have a connection to each other that they didn't even realize for a while and it was just really shocking and I was rooting for both of them. Right, and speaking of Dr. Lawrence Gordon, he's played by Carrie Elways, who's been in a ton of stuff, but most notably fans will recognize him as Wesley, the hero from the movie The Princess Bride. And he does a really good job in this movie. I think, um, you know, when the, they're first in the room, you don't know which one's a good guy, which one's a bad guy, or if they're either or both or neither. And uh, uh, I thought he pulled it off very well as adding to the mystery because he doesn't, like... At first, he kind of surmises that they're in a jigsaw trap because he had previously been accused of being jigsaw. And so we're told through flashback what jigsaw is or what he does, the crimes that have been committed because of jigsaw. jigsaw. And so I think Carrie always brings a, a, a cool presence to this character, sort of a, a almost a sympathetic character yeah it definitely felt like the movie was gearing us towards wanting to like him you know understanding that he's a flawed human being and he knew something but he didn't know enough and that's what worked that's what really gave this this first intro to them because they're just two guys trapped in a room the movie starts really quickly it doesn't have a whole lot of beginnings it doesn't it has a i think a little bit of symbolic intros for the studios and then it just goes into saw and then it just goes into straight into the two guys in the trapped in the room, both chained to pipes. Right. And that's just kind of a little sudden. And I thought it I thought it worked really well that we got a backstory of the jigsaw killer and then we got into the, the meat of them being stuck in a room and why they're there and what they're gonna do about it and all this stuff. And okay, to continue rounding out this cast, we have Danny Glover as Detective David Tapp. And, of course, uh, a lot could be said about Danny Glover. He's got a huge, respectable movie career. But he's probably most noted as, or he's probably most famously known as Roger Murtaugh in the Lethal Weapon series with Mel Gibson. Then we have Dina Meyer, who is another detective named Carrie. And she's famous for her role as Dizzy in Starship Troopers. We have Ken Leung, who played Detective Stephen Singh, and you might remember him as Straum from the TV show Lost. And speaking of Lost, we also have Michael Emerson, who plays Zepp Hendel. He's also done several voices in DC animated movies. He played Benjamin Linus in Lost, and most famously, Harold Finch in the amazing series Person of Interest. Shawnee Smith is on board as a character named Amanda. And Monica Potter, who's been in a lot of stuff, uh, plays Allison Gordon, Lawrence's wife. And of course... Jigsaw is played by Tobin Bell, and he plays a Jigsaw in all the Saw movies. He's also done a few movies, tons of TV shows, including Alias in 24, and most notably, he was the voice of Savitar in the Flash TV series. So let's jump into the meat of this, into the meat of this movie. So these two guys are trapped in this room. They're given clues. 
and uh, go from there, Spence. Uh, well, it, it takes them a little bit. They have uh, these like tape recorders and they're given tapes of, you know, recordings that Jigsaw gave them of why they're there and all this stuff. And then when Dr. Gordon kind of explains to Adam that they might be in a Jigsaw trap, the movie then goes on to give us a lot of details from Detective Tapp's perspective about how many crimes they found, how many crime scenes they found, how, you know, just absolutely gross and destructive and heinous these crime scenes have come to. And basically, it's a big, big mystery as to what the hell's going on, why he does it, who he is, and all this stuff. And we get a little bit of connection between um, Dr. Gordon, uh, Michael Emerson's character, Zepp, and then um, Adam. And the movie doesn't really miss a beat, in my opinion. The pacing of it is very, very well done because they switch from, you know, real life and fleshing out these characters to keeping them locked in the room and having them struggle with that because they're probably starving, terrified, cold, confused, and hurting. And they have a, they have a time frame. The, the clock yeah. is ticking. They have till 6 a.m. for Lawrence to basically kill Adam. And if he doesn't by 6 a.m., Lawrence's wife and daughter will be killed. It's a big, big, big mystery as to how the hell things are happening and what's going on. And as things progress, what I am happy about is that the movie doesn't make it a big deal to give more information and not treat it like it's a plot twist, like it's all crazy game changing. It rounds out major parts of the story, like when we find out the Jigsaw Killer is a is a real deal kind of thing. And, you know, that turns out Gordon was a, a suspect for it. But that's not none of the stuff is treated like it's super, super important until the very end when there really is a big plot twist. Right. And I thought that was really, really well done, that the pacing didn't feel like they were just trying to string us along as an audience. They were trying to show us these things in a certain way. And if they did it in any other way, I feel like it would have fallen flat on its face and how it was trying to go. Right. I believe this originally started as a short film about two guys trapped in a room chained to, you know, chained to the pipes. And then they got the funding because it was so well done to make it into a full movie. So that's why a lot of what's in the film are, are indeed flashbacks, as well as the active investigation trying to figure out what's going on with the Jigsaw Killer. And the reason he's called Jig... Well, first, let me back up a bit here. What Jigsaw does, again, like I said before, he's more of a vigilante, not a killer. He, in fact, he even says, I've never killed anyone. It's because he takes people that he deems aren't worthy of living their lives and puts them because we find out that he's got a terminal condition he's facing death so he feels that facing death changes your life so he takes these people that maybe aren't irredeemable or could be irredeemable and puts them in these situations these death traps if you will if they can figure their way out and if they have enough sometimes moral fortitude to be able to get out of the trap they'll come out on the other side all the better for it and he takes a piece of their skin in the shape of a jigsaw puzzle piece and what was the... I can't remember now. There was a reason for that. They said... He said that it was because they were um, missing, like, a vile piece of the human puzzle or something like that. Right. Because he explained that um, he thought these people, like, didn't value their lives and weren't living it to the fullest. And they weren't grateful for what they had, whereas he was literally dying and wanted to cherish everything that he had sort of like a sort of like a wake-up call to people of cherish what you have or else this could be you 
Right, stop and smell the roses kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's a big deal. And we get a lot more of that that insider knowledge to the Jigsaw Killer in the second one. The first one is very much a big mystery as to how things are going and what what could be. And the second one goes into it treating the audience like maybe not that they've necessarily seen the first one because it it does give the audience enough details that okay this is a jigsaw trap this is you know this is what he does it gives us that brief rundown within the first couple of minutes and then it moves on and tells us things that we would want to know from the first one the first one is is a complete story in and of itself the second one actually expands on what the audience wants to know it answers the questions that we have had since the very first one right so all right so let's do before we um, dive into the the second one first of all what are your first impressions now i saw this in the movies and i thought uh, i was just blown away by it i had really no idea going into it what it was going to be about and which i love seeing movies like that when i have absolutely no concept of what the film's about um what did you guys think going into it well going in um i I'm the type of person that will watch a lot of, like, YouTube videos about, like, behind the scenes and stuff about movies, and everything that I had heard about Saw, like, from the beginning that it was just, like, the writer um, that was acting in it, which props to him, that was phenomenal on his part, um, and I felt that it was just the short film of two guys being trapped in a bathroom and their whole moral conundrum but then I was pleasantly surprised that it was more than that and it explored more traps and brought in characters like Amanda who we see in the second one and it really expands on it and makes it more than just a trap in like and everyone's involved in one way or another and I think it was really phenomenal. Yeah, I agree that the fact that the story came full circle, that the acting was well done, and the fact that people who don't necessarily know about the Saw movies say that they're overly gory, when I would say that they're just violent, for sure, but they were not overly gory. It's not torture porn. And even then, they're not really that violent. There's, like, moments of, like, uh, Dr. Gordon sawing off his foot or Amanda going through the stomach of her lover like there's just small moments of nastiness it's not it's not like enough to like make you shut the movie off it's enough that you can cover your eyes through the scene and get through it yeah exactly and none of it is unexpected either you know what i mean there's a big build-up to dr gordon choosing to saw off his own foot because he they get the saws a couple of hours earlier for the, right. for the characters and you know we as the audience are like oh no like they establish these things everything has a warning the saw movies they don't pull punches but they don't surprise you really with anything visually speaking except for the end of the first film well no the the plot is surprising but even there was another uh person in the room I think I know what you're trying to say. It's sort of like well, no, it's but almost I like would a consider that a pl- I would consider that a plot thing. Okay, that that whole in, entanglement. But when it comes to anything that could be, you know, construed as gory or disgusting, oh, or anything that saying. would make you want to turn the movie off visually speaking, is not surprising. I think it's almost like a reverse surprise where he tells them either exactly what to do and they do it, or he tells them what not to do and they do it anyway. Which, in the example of Amanda's case, of she had to go through 
the guts of her lover. And then in the second one, which we'll get into, um, the, um, the note that said not to use the key in the door and the fact that they did it anyway. Right. That was like the first thing the character did. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the big thing is, Jigsaw's big thing is that he's never killed anyone. He's never actually put a gun to anyone's head and pulled the trigger. Right. That's the that's his big thing is that he, he has put people in death traps, but everything he has given them has been a warning. Everything right. has been warned. You know, there's a moment where he, he leaves a note that says, don't do this. Well, a character does it, then gets murdered. Right. <laughs> and there's always a way to sort of avoid it. It's not perfect, but there are ways that you're able to survive it. You just Right, have his to, traps are such that there is a way out. You yeah. just have to follow the rules. And, and you just, you can get a little fucked up on the way. Like it's lose disgusting, a foot, but yeah. But you can still get out. It's not meant to be, you know, easy, but it's fair at the end right. of the day. And as an audience member, if you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? He's already told us what's going to happen. Across right. both movies, he's right. already told us what's going to happen. He's already given us enough information for us as the audience to make a conjecture about what could happen. Right, so exactly. So if, if anything happened that you didn't expect, there was a point in the movie where they specifically made it a statement that this might happen, this might not happen, something or other. Because both movies are very different. Yes. But, they're, but the way they go about things is the same. And I'm impressed with how smart jigsaw is as a character because across both films there were a couple of moments where i'm like oh the cops got him he's screwed he's gonna get shot he's gonna die they're gonna arrest him they got him and he gets out of it yeah and jigsaw is always five or ten steps ahead of the authorities and i think that's incredible yeah personally we'll return to 13 days of hellotober after these messages Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kids Radio. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. 
There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Hey folks, I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts. Podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed? I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at podcast upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on podparadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And... When you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I, I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcasts on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out.
is to find an antidote. One is inside the safe. You all possess the combination in the back of your mind. Let the game begin. Let's just take out the whole house. What is up? Run! Live or die, make your choice. There's something that we're not seeing. You did this. Open the door! There's nowhere to go! Where is he? Yes. There will be blood. And all right, so let's talk about a little bit about the cast and director of the second movie, Saw Two. It's directed by Darren Lynn Bousman. He ended up directing Saw Two, Three, and Four, and he's got a very distinct style. I think. Um, his style, the, well, the style of the first one was really good. His was a little different. He uses a lot more uh, fast cutting between scenes or within a scene, something's happening. And then all of a sudden, it's like a close up of what's going on is flashed in there really fast. It's almost like the death sequence. They have death sequences of sort of what happens. It goes by really fast. So it's almost like it helps with the gore aspect. And it's and just, you can tell that they're dying. Or, like, gonna die because of how the director cuts those scenes. Right. And uh, let me quickly give you a brief synopsis of Saw 2 here. Police informant Michael Marks awakens in a room with a spike-filled mask locked around his neck. Michael has one minute to cut into his eye to obtain the key, but can't bring himself to do it and is killed when the mask closes. At the scene of Michael's game, Detective Allison Carey finds a message for her former partner, Detective Eric Matthews, and calls him in. Matthews joins Carey and Officer Daniel Rigg in leading a SWAT team to the factory, which produced the lock from Michael's trap. There they apprehend John Kramer, the Jigsaw Killer, who indicates computer monitors showing eight people trapped in a house, including his only known survivor, Amanda Young, and Matthews' son, Daniel. The other victims are Xavier, Jonas, Gus, Laura, Addison, and Obi. A nerve agent filling the house will kill them all within two hours, but John assures Matthews that if he follows the rules of his own game, he will see Daniel again. At Carrie's urging, Matthews agrees to buy time for the tech team to arrive and trace the video signal. During their conversation, John reveals to Matthews that one of his main motivations to become Jigsaw was a failed suicide attempt after his cancer diagnosis, which led to a newfound appreciation for life. His game's purpose is to help his victims develop the same appreciation. Um, and he's also got a frenetic style of directing, uh, similar to Sam Raimi, but different. Sam Raimi does a lot of crash zooms and pulls pullbacks and stuff, whereas this guy, the camera's moving around while you're cutting to these quick scenes of close-ups of what the character, like say the hand, character's hand is trapped in a trap. The, the, the hand is moving in fast motion trying to get out of the trap, and it just adds to the tension and the pace of the film. Yeah, it's almost as if that the intensity of the scene changes is meant to invoke how intense the scene is for the characters right. or the audience. Right. Which, obviously, in my opinion, works. I would say that that works a whole hundred percent. And it doesn't overshow the gore. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't give us crazy amounts of close-ups when somebody gets killed, you know, it 
it shows us what happens. We move on, and that's that. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't linger on it like you would expect from a movie like this. Correct. And when there are characters that are stuck in traps that just can't figure it out, the whole time they're trying to figure it out, it is also like sped up, which I think adds to the fact that the movie isn't so long and it just works better. Right. So to round out our cast here, we've got Tobin Bell returning as Jigsaw, Shawnee Smith returning as Amanda, Dina Meyer returning as Carrie, and we've got a newcomer here to the series, Donnie Wahlberg, who plays Detective Eric Matthews. Now, Donnie's been in a few movies and TV shows, including a bit part in The Sixth Sense, as well as the movie Dreamcatcher, and some of his TV credits include Band of Brothers, Runaway, The Kill Point, and Blue Bloods. He is famously one of the Wahlberg brothers and was part of the boy band The New Kids on the Block. His brother, Mark Wahlberg, has sort of eclipsed him as a movie star, but Donnie's still very talented in his own right. And I think Donnie does a great job in this movie as the, the father trying to rescue his son. All he needs to do is follow Jigsaw's rules and he'll get his son back alive. And of course, Jigsaw even says to him, I know the kind of person you are. And Donnie does not follow the rules. Yeah, and I feel like that that's a really, really magnificent plot twist that in the Saw movies, I found that sometimes once you find a plot twist in a certain movie you go back and rewatch the movie and now you're like okay well now I know what's gonna happen some of the tension is lifted but the way the Saw movies go because there's the follow the rules and it'll happen this way don't follow the rules it'll happen that way that adds to the value of even though you know where this person is or what this person is doing you're still concerned because at the end of the day you're hoping deep down in your heart that it's not going to be how you remember it, that it's going to work out. Right. <laughs> and that somebody's going to follow the rules or somebody's going to break the rules in a certain way and not do that. Right. And it's, it's really, really well done that even though I know something now having just finished saw two, I can go back and watch it and I'm still going to be enthralled hoping that what's going to happen is going to happen. Right. Now throughout the first film, the kind of, implied or they made you maybe think that Michael Emerson's character was Jigsaw. Absolutely. And of course it turned out it wasn't. He was he was working for Jigsaw but not working for him. He was also threatened with his own timer. I think he had been poisoned or something. Yeah, yeah and that was a big thing was we, we get introduced to Michael Emerson's character who I love Michael Emerson because of Person of Interest. Well, I yes. adore Person of Interest. Michael Emerson, Jim Caviezel but Michael Emerson's character is a very, very estranged character and he's you know you get the sense that oh okay so he's kind of almost behind all of this stuff that we're seeing in the room with Adam and Dr. Gordon okay okay and then by the time all the characters get together you the um, Adam pulls out the tape recorder with Zepp's special right. tape and yes. you're like oh no it wasn't him right he was what a victim of Saw and, of Jigsaw and Amanda the character of Amanda is also in the first movie, but more of a, a backstory kind of thing where she's a survivor. She's been trapped in a jigsaw trap. Her life is better because of it. Um, oh, and this movie actually adds an explanation. That's what I want to say. I have a couple things here. Uh, all the Saw movies have not only a lot of details in them, but you'll find in succeeding films that there are things, details from the first few films that are explained in later films. And in this one, Amanda, it looks like she's in the trap again, uh, a jigsaw trap. She's in this house with all these people trying to figure a way out. 
And you're like, oh, crap. Oh, I thought she had already survived it. Come to find out she's secretly working for Jigsaw. And that would explain why in the... Well, actually, one of the flashbacks in this movie, in Saw 2, explains why in the first one, when she's in the trap and they find the tape of what Jigsaw says to her, because like you said, Jigsaw will put a, play a tape and tell you the parameters of the trap and what you need to do to get out. He doesn't say what her quote-unquote crime is or what the reason is. He just says, hello, Amanda, you're in this trap, blah, blah, blah. You got to do this to get out. And I noticed that when we watched the first movie, I'm like, why didn't he tell her the reason she's in there? And in this one, they explain it because she was with Jigsaw. He had found her. She was like cutting her wrist or something. And he said, you need to, you need to um, experience a, a proximity to death in order to appreciate your life and then he puts her in the trap and she willingly goes into it and they of course leave the tape for the authorities to find and she can claim she's a survivor of the saw jigsaw traps but he that's why he didn't need to explain to her on the tape it also explains in the beginning of who the person attacking adam dr gordon and all these people is because He's with a, the pig mask. He's a cancer patient. He's not, he's he's weak. Oh the yes, second yeah. one, He's in a wheelchair. Yeah. There's no way this man is sneaking into people's cars and kidnapping them. Right. So it just gives us so many details that we need to put together ourselves. It doesn't tell us, oh, she was the one doing this or she was the one doing that. And then it juxtaposes the time frame of certain events that were happening. We're seeing people in a trap and then investigators at the same time thinking it's happening congruently. When it turns out it's, it's not. not. But at the end we do at the end of Saw Two, we do see Amanda pull back the piggy mask and show that it is her. Right. That's what Spencer was just saying. Yeah, which she's the muscle. Yeah, exactly. Which okay, yeah. Adds I think it just adds to the flavor of the series that they don't spoon feed us plot elements. They don't have to specifically go back and explain it. You can rewatch the first one and then, oh my god, this has so much more value now. Right. And I'm sure that if you once you go through and watch all of them, and if you rewatch any of them, there's going to be so many things that you didn't pick up on, and things that like will make more sense after seeing them explained in a future movie. The one thing I do really appreciate about the movie is that many, many times one-off lines in the series have ramifications and have important value in helping characters figure out the death trap they're in. I'm glad that the movie takes those one-off lines and gives it back to us one more time when the character puts everything together. Right. Because that helps, that helps me. I'm not going to remember the one line this person said at that point to magically put the entire puzzle together for myself. Well, when they do things multiple times, when you see a character in a pig mask and a red, uh, red coat attack people multiple times, and then you finally figure out who's inside of that, as the audience we should figure out, okay, this person has probably been in there the whole time. Right. Okay, but then the one-off line that the audience may or may not remember is just thrown back at us one more time. Nothing's not really spoon-fed, but nothing's forgotten either. Right. Something I really appreciate about the pacing and the stylistic choices in this film. And one thing I want to say, and I, I've said this to a lot of people over the years about the Saw films, is it's like a very tightly written TV series. And as you'll see in later films, like I said, there are details from the earlier films that are explained in the later films and sometimes it's hard to wait two or three years for a sequel to come out because you forget the details and then you watch it and you kind of get it but but if you watch them in a row it makes much more sense 
And you can remember, like, I remember watching Saw 2 in the theater, and I couldn't remember if Amanda was in the first one or not, because I hadn't seen it in quite a while. And so it's like, it's better to almost kind of uh, binge watch the Saw movies, because I think you get a lot more out of that. And that's hard to find in some series. Oh, yeah. That's hard to find in some movie series that binge watching them is preferable to spatially watching them. And honestly, since there's like, what, eight Saw movies or something like that? There's eight, yes. Yeah, at least for now. Right. (laughs) um, I really don't expect them to like repeat anything or anything to get boring. I honestly expect it to get better because there's so many ways they can go about and so many different traps. And I'm very excited to see the rest of them. Yeah, I'm really, really amped for it, just to see how far ahead Jigsaw stays. And obviously that Jigsaw does have a limited time with his his cancer. It's going to change. I know the dynamic will change right. with, look, through the movies. It did look like he died at the end of the second one. Yeah, I'm not totally certain, because I haven't seen the sequels. So he may or may not have been passing away at that point. But either we'll way... We'll figure out when we watch the third one. Exactly. Right. The sequels are going to get better and better. And this... This, to me, is true what, like, semantically speaking, is horror. It's what you see. It's when you see a bed of heroin needles. That's horrifying. That scene was terrifying. Oh, absolutely. But, (laughs) see, to me, it was horrifying. Well, yeah. Because I wasn't in anticipation worried about it. I was reacting to it. Exactly. I was mad. Well, yeah, exactly. I was mad because that big buff, that big buff guy, just threw Amanda in, and I thought he deserved to die. Yeah. <laughs> from that point on, and I was mad that he was like the second, the last one to die, essentially. Yeah, and that's that. Well, that's the thing in some of these in the song, particularly in the first and second one. You know, not like all right. Let's take a typical slasher film. Most of slasher films are full of teenagers, and you can't stand pretty much all of them. At least this movie, some of the victims you can identify with or you at least like and some of the victims you don't and they're just totally just jerks or even so even if you don't like them they acknowledge that they're flawed and the mistakes they've made and some of them refuse to do it so the people we really don't like are the ones who are arrogant and believe they're right and that they're they're the ones who are going to survive this 100 percent and then the people we you know maybe don't like because of some of the things they've done still say yeah i know i'm guilty at certain points, and I know I'm guilty at, uh, I'm sorry, no, I'm not guilty at other points. Right. And I think that's important to value as the characters because these are these are real people who have made horrible, horrible choices, and that's why they're here. Well, in even Amanda says in the second one, when it's it's revealed that uh, Donnie Wahlberg's character basically framed all of the people that that are in trapped in this jigsaw trap in the house at one point or another in the past. They were criminals. He framed them. And she even says, yeah, you planted evidence on me for a crime I didn't do. Yeah, I did bad things, but that wasn't one of them. Yeah, I feel like that was really important. It almost feels like the entire second movie is a trap for somebody who's not in the death trap. Right. Okay, so we're going to wrap things up here. Now, we've basically just scratched the surface, especially with just Saw and Saw 2. I definitely think people out there should go out and see them and judge for yourself. Now, uh, let's get final impressions. Squishy. What's your final impression of Saw and Saw 2, and did it meet your expectations? I want to watch all of them, like, a million times over. It was so good. I was in shock. Like, I even texted my sister. I'm like, dude, I just watched Saw, and you need to, like, she doesn't like, like, gore movies, or, like, she's not a big fan of horror movies, and I'm like, this is one you need to see. (laughs) This is, I think this is, 
a staple movie that people don't recognize is a staple movie because of like the fact that oh it's got a little bit of gore or people consider it torture porn oh and one thing we didn't even talk about the iconic theme song by Charles Clauser I was just gonna say that theme is so so iconic I'd put that on par with John Carpenter's Halloween theme yeah that is on par with it it is so good so iconic but also just a very very nice melody but still intense and it's not super super horror movie-esque it's very much like just a a multitude of notes all put together to really keep the intensity and reality of the music and it's not overused throughout the film like say halloween could be accused of overusing the the uh, michael myers theme but this when you hear the song playing the shit's about to hit the fan yeah you know it as an audience (laughs) member you're like oh crap and they have different I don't, I think instruments of playing the theme because there's moments where it gets really, really light, but it's still in the background. So we know that this is when Jigsaw's plan is unfolding, but it's not supposed to be a inherently super fast moment. Right. So I I love that, that the music is mirroring the way the scene is playing out. Right. The music never even registered for me, honestly, because I was just so like in a trance just watching it i don't know if enthralled would be the right word for it. that often yeah. happens on a first viewing of a film too is yeah. you don't notice the music because you're kind of enthralled in the story it's a big <laughs> it's a big 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 thing so spencer your final thoughts on saw and saw 2 i loved it and it was way different than i fully expected everyone has this view of it that it's oh it's torture porn or it's oh it's excessively gory it's really not it's very thought-provoking and it's a very much a reality of horror. Many times we meet fantastic beasts, we meet strange situations, supernatural creatures, aliens, all these things that defy human understanding. But this is too much reality. This is, yeah. this is like concentrated levels of reality, a bed of heroin needles and a bear trap on your head. It's, it just takes normal things and makes it far worse which is very, very new and different. And I think that that just plays in the movie's favor and that the, at least the first two are, you know, at least the first one is a borderline masterpiece. I loved it. Yes, I agree. And, you know, one thing, too, about these characters that are trapped in these jigsaw traps, the layers of humanity are peeled away and their true personality comes to the forefront, whether it's good or bad. And you get to see the character, like, when you're put in a death situation like that, how they re- really react. And sometimes it's not pretty. <laughs> a lot of times it's not pretty. But I, I don't mean, you even mean the result of the trap. I mean the characters' reactions and actions. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot of times where somebody just you know kills over and dies from a basic part of the trap that necessarily wasn't meant to be the killing factor because they just couldn't handle right. what was going on. Right. And it's very, very awesome and intense. So down the road a piece, maybe someday we'll do a, like a, an overview of the entire series of Saw. But for now, we decided to watch Saw and we loved it so much that we watched Saw 2. That's why we're doing both films today. We hope you're having fun at home. Please check those movies out. They're really enjoyable. Dude. And <laughs> and they're, they're like Spencey said, they're far more than what you'd expect. They have a certain uh, reputation about them that uh, it precedes them and it's not. It doesn't. It's a different kind of reputation. They mm-hmm, should have definitely. I highly recommend it to anyone of all ages who's interested well, in a more within reason. Yeah. Anyone of 
intelligent well, ages. Over 15 or 13, yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean. To really, you know, really any one person of all ages could really appreciate this film and really get, you know, get invested in it. It is violent and it's not for everyone, but I think that there's just so much good about it that anything that would really turn somebody off can be easily overlooked. Just as long as you're not, like, super squeamish with blood, because there is a lot of blood. It's a lot of blood. But I love it. Excellent. Highly recommend. Well, thank you guys for joining us today, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you for having us. Well, we hope you enjoyed this special edition episode of Then Is Now called 13 Days of Hallotober. If you want to chime in on today's show, please send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website, havenpodcasts.com. And we have another show called The East Meets the West, where we discuss spaghetti westerns and Shaw Brothers movies. So we hope you check that show out as well. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us and spread the word about Then Is Now. Join us again next episode. Then Is Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast on the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. Okay, and today what? We're recording now. All right, come on. How you guys doing? We're doing well. How about you? Good, but you need to talk into the mic. We're doing fine. How about you? Can you just pull the mic closer and then like okay. Do it again with the we're doing well. We're doing well.